Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church, the CAM Consulting Annex. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing truth in your word about Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together in freedom and to hear your word proclaimed and to fall in love once again with your precious son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for one another. We thank you, Father, for your amazing person, your love and your justice and your righteousness and how your son perfectly illuminates our lives with those same qualities because he is also God. We ask this morning for God, the Holy Spirit, to guide us, direct us, and teach us as we continue in your word in the Gospel of John. We also want to pray this morning for all the saints. We want to pray for the saints in our little congregation, also around this country, the United States, and around the world. And in particular, Father, this morning, once again, we do want to bring into our hearts and to your attention the persecuted church in many countries. We want to pray this morning for Victor in Liberia and the trials that he's going through right now in particular. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Just as a reminder, um, while we don't celebrate Palm Sunday, we do celebrate Resurrection Sunday, and that'll be next Sunday. So looking forward to that. Please, Mark. Wait a minute. Thank you, Mark. Let's see what's going on here. We'll share screen. Yeah, you know, it. Um, when I came back, it was off. Like it, it was just even here. So I didn't think of that, though. I always forget something. Is it on now? Okay, great. Thank you. So again, next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. I hope many of you as possible can be there, be here with us for that. Let's begin now by going to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. We're on chapter 10 now, verse 1. John, John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. John 10, 1. Our title this morning is Shepherd of the Sheep, and it comes from this passage. We'll see that this morning. I'll begin, as I normally do, by reading the passage. And then we will get into what it is that the Lord wants us to see in this passage this morning and in other places in the Bible. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door of the, into the folds of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is painting a picture, and he's using a very familiar image to those people at that time. The sheep were important to the economy of Palestine. They, the sheep and the shepherd would be dotted across the landscape in the hills. And when they were not grazing in the pasture, they were in the fold. Now, at that time, the fold was basically a circular or rectangular uh, structure. It had low walls that were made out of stone. You had a door and one, one part of that only. There was one door and there would, be, there would be a doorkeeper and he would regulate who could come in and who couldn't. And the only people he would let in would be shepherds that owned or, or at least uh, – tended to some of the sheep that were in that particular fold. So that if somebody came, 
and wasn't a shepherd, the doorkeeper wouldn't let him in. On the other hand, the she- we'll see this in a moment, but the shepherds, uh, they, they all they had to do was call their sheep and they would hear the voice of their shepherd and they would come. So that's the setting. Jesus is going to paint a picture right, that they would be familiar with. And then he's going to turn and we're going to see how that picture relates to what has just been happening. And also more broadly, once again, is going to bring out who really the Lord Jesus Christ is. This morning, we are going to, um, once, we, once I read the rest of this passage, we're going to spend most of our time in the Old Testament today. It will be a little different. Why? Because what we're going to do is we're going to set the stage for what we're then going to look at starting really the week after this Resurrection Sunday when we dive into this verse by verse. But again, the Old Testament is really important in order to understand this particular passage. We have to remember that the people in Jesus' time, to the extent they studied the word of God and heard it, and many of them did, Synagogues were pretty full, and the rabbis and the Pharisees taught out of the scriptures on a regular basis, but it was the Old Testament scriptures. And so everything that Jesus is saying that relates to a principle in the word of God would be found in the Old Testament for these people. The the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests knew their Bible, their Old Testament. They, They didn't live according to it, but they knew it. We have the same issue. We can have we even now we can know a lot of things that are in the Bible. We can actually study it. We can hear it. But if we come to it with the wrong approach, we're not going to really understand the meaning of it. And I've been thinking in this Gospel of John that there's really two approaches. And I find even myself, I would find sometimes I'd be taking the wrong approach and I'd have to correct that. What I mean by two approaches is that you can come to this legalistically. You can come to this and say there are commands here from the Lord, and that's what this is really all about, and I've got to obey all those or I'm a bad person. And when you come to the Gospels that way, you end up really resenting the Lord because he's the lawgiver. Okay. On the other hand, what do we know as Christians about how God really uh, interacts with us, and it's called grace. So you can come to this graciously, and that's a different approach. Same gospel, different approach on our part. So we can we can do a have to or a want to in terms of our approach. And when you just look at it and, and just be able to take it in and understand that you're loved by the Heavenly Father, what happens is, is that what could have been Resentment in your heart turns into love in your heart. And and that's been my experience in reading the Gospel of John. I'm falling in love with Jesus Christ more and more. Because if you just relax and just observe who he is, you're going to fall in love with him more. You're going to see his courage in the face of great danger and risk. You're going to see his tenderness for those that needed it. We're going to see that today. We're going to see that. We'll start to see it today. That the power of this teaching that he has, has to do with what it reveals about his character, who he is. And he's going to set a huge contrast between himself and that group that we saw in chapter 9 that was just simply hostile and mean and legalistic. So this morning, again, we're going to just start with that 
We're going to read the passage, and then we're going to go to the Old Testament that sets the stage, that would have been the frame of mind that many in his audience, especially the ones he was directing this message to, would have understood. And so when he says certain things directly, not in the story, but he starts to then take the image that he's painted and then relate it to himself and to his audience, they will understand what he's saying. And I want us to have that same understanding that they would have had. So again, with that as an introduction, again, starting in verse 1, John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door of the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. I'm going to read this again. And what I'd like you to do this morning is now place yourself here. Place yourself as being in a fold and and only having one shepherd. And when you hear his voice... You perk up and you move toward him. And then he takes you out and he leads you. And he's the Jesus Christ, even though he won't say that until later. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. He's here. To him, the doorkeeper opens. And the sheep, we, hear his voice. And he calls us by name and leads us out. And when he puts forth all of us, he then goes ahead of us, and the sheep, us, we follow him because we know his voice. Verse 5. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. In other words, there's, there's an authentic voice that speaks God's word, okay, and, and ultimately that voice is the voice of Jesus, and then there are all kinds of other voices that that can that are trying to pull us away and they're trying to steal things from us. And ultimately, they're murderers. And of course, they don't show that they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're shepherds. They look like a shepherd, but they're false shepherds. They, they Satan is an angel of light. Why is it surprising that that his followers would also do the same? Paul said that about the false teachers. In 2 Corinthians 11. So again, a stranger in verse 5, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, so far in verses 1 to 5, what we have seen is that picture being painted, right? We've seen a we've seen Jesus take something that they were familiar with and describe it in some detail. So they would bring that back into their focus. They would have those images. Now, then he's going to tell them in verse six that that's what he's done, fully aware that at this point, there are many who don't are not yet going to make the connection between themselves and this story, between Jesus and this story. So that's why we see verse six, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. Now, they certainly understood sheep and shepherds and thieves and robbers 
but they didn't understand why is it that he is telling us these things. They didn't understand that, many of them. And so once again, he has to draw out the the significance of this figure of speech that he's just given them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you. You see, we've seen that already in verse one, haven't we? Truly, truly, I say to you. Remember, this is a way in which Jesus spoke. And John's the one who records the, the, this particular manner in which Jesus would, would, would speak. And it was when he was about to say something solemn and important. And he wanted to get their attention. Just like, just like the, the shepherd would speak and then they, he would get the attention of the, his own sheep in the sheepfold. He says it twice. says it in verse 1. When he wants them to pay attention to what he's, what he's, what he's illustrating and drawing. And then again in verse 7 when he wants them to pay attention now so that they finally understand why it is that he gave this picture to them. Again, verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. So what's happening? He's entering into this, the picture that he's drawn, and he's drawing their attention to that door, at the door of, of protection and entrance. And he's saying, that's me. And, and he's saying, now I want you to understand that there are also thieves and robbers among us. And he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers and the sheep. These are their believers. This is as what we call many times when we look at the Old Testament nation of Israel, the remnant. See, it's not all the sheep in the fold. It's those who hear his voice. But so he said, all in verse eight, you came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. Now, so far, what is he doing? He's identifying two of the images, right? There are several, right? He talks about the door and he talks about the thieves and the robbers. You see, in right in verse one. We see the elements that he's now going to identify in verse 7. This is what I'm really saying. Of course, there are other things as well. There's the sheep, and then there's the doorkeeper. So he's going to not say anything about them directly yet. But notice what he says. Oh, oh, by the way, there's the shepherd of the sheep, too, which he doesn't identify. And it's interesting, because those of us who probably account all of us among them, who are also really familiar with the imagery of Jesus being the shepherd, would probably expect verse 7 to read, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the shepherd of the sheep, right? But what does he say? I'm the door of the sheep. Now, he will later on, and actually verse 11, then say, I'm the good shepherd. But first he goes to the door. Now we're not going to we're not going to study what that is all about today. That'll be the week after uh, after Resurrection Sunday. But that's significant. He's drawing attention to the door first. Again, verse seven. So Jesus said to them again, "Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them." See, Jesus as the door protects his sheep from the thieves and robbers. His sheep, not all the sheep, but his believers. Verse nine, he repeats himself. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, 
he will be saved. For the first time, we see that that the ones that are that are entering through him, in other words, the sheep, he identifies as what as what people, right? He, I am the door, verse nine. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, my sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. So you see this 180 degree difference between what he's now calling thieves and robbers and himself. Why? Because the thieves and the robbers only want to steal and kill and destroy. He only wants them to have abundant life. So this is a total, total opposite situation here. Now, of course, when we read this, we, we again in verse 7, we see who, who the door is. But we don't see here exactly who the thieves and the robbers are. And, if, and I think most people want to know that. They want to say, well, okay, who are the dangerous ones? What is he talking about? You haven't yet seen the Lord directly identify who the thieves and the robbers are. And that's why we're going to go to the Old Testament. Because while, while we might wonder, that may be a, a question that we have, they wouldn't have. All right? As soon as he identifies the fact that there are people who are thieves and robbers, and they want to steal and kill and destroy, there are now people understand who he's talking about. And I want you to have that same experience today. Um, so, again, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, we can't forget what we've just witnessed in chapter 9. We saw that there was a man, right, who'd been born blind, right? We've seen, we, we're, those of us who have spent time now in chapter 9 are very familiar with what's going on there. Now, what's going on there wasn't a picture, wasn't an image. It was real life. There was a real man who was born blind, whom Jesus came and miraculously healed. And then that man, in turn, went before his neighbors, who didn't believe him at first. And his neighbors brought him to the Pharisees, who questioned him and were skeptical and wanted to disprove this, because it would, if they couldn't disprove it, there was no way people could argue that, that they could argue to the people that he wasn't the Messiah. So they, at all costs, they wanted to disprove this. They brought his parents in, remember? And his parents vouched for the basic facts. Yes, he was born blind. Yes, he now sees. They mostly, they also confirmed the fact that he was born blind. Because again, the parents would have been the ones that know for sure. But they weren't willing to say how he was healed. So the Pharisees bring back the, the man, formerly blind, again. And if you recall, that second interrogation became more and more hostile to the point where when when he had pinned them in terms of any argument they could make against his clear witness, they had no other recourse than to toss him out. Remember? Just to throw him out. And at that point, what happens? Jesus comes into the picture and he accepts him. And then he reveals to him that he is indeed the Messiah. That's where we that's where we come from when we start chapter chapter 10. 
Now, there's no doubt that the miracle that Jesus performed was unprecedented. We Remember, we went to the Old Testament and we saw that there was never anybody who healed a man born blind. So unprecedented. And also it tied into what the prophets said about the Messiah and the messianic reign. That would be when the blind would be healed, the lame would walk and so forth. Clear sign that Jesus was the promised Messiah. What, what should, if, if, the old, if the Pharisees and the Jews, those little leaders, had understood, understood, not, not known, but understood what the prophets were saying about the Messiah and understood the significance of it and had an open heart to the, for the fact that Jesus could be at least the Messiah, and, and, and they had seen one of the lost sheep be healed miraculously, one would think that authentic leaders would have what? Celebrated. They would have celebrated this. But they didn't. They didn't. They had the absolute opposite response to the one Jesus had. They interrogated this man. They abused him. They hurled insults at him. And then finally they jettisoned this man. Get out. We don't want anything to do with you. And they were the leaders. They were supposed to be the ones that cared for and fed with the word of God. And they didn't. Jesus did. So now we're today we do begin chapter 10 of the of the Gospel of John. And, you know, it contains one of the most treasured images that we have of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. This is a very vivid thing for anybody who knows the Old Testament. The idea that there would be a shepherd who would seek out the lost who would carry and care for his sheep is a, is, a, is a very vivid thing to anybody who had studied and listened to and heard again and again the Old Testament, especially the prophets, but not only that. I'd like you to actually turn now to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, of course, is the, perhaps the most well-known and beloved psalm that talks about a shepherd, the shepherd. David is speaking, and he is he, he is painting a picture. It's the same imagery, but it's completely personal. He could have said, the Lord is the shepherd of all the people, and that would have been correct. He could have said, the Lord is the shepherd of Israel, and that would have been correct. But that's not what he said, right? Look at Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. The Lord, as we've seen, the shepherd, rather, as we've already seen this morning, can call out his own sheep by name, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that every sheep had a name that he called out. It's possible. I mean, the shepherd, a typical shepherd, what it does mean is that the shepherd had an individual personal relationship with each of the sheep. In other words, he knew which ones were healthy, which ones were sick. He knew which ones were the most likely to bolt. And so he had to sp spend more time watching them and bringing them back when they strayed. So that's why it's entirely appropriate for David to have that, to express that personal relationship between him and the Lord. And it's perfectly appropriate, even more so, for us to do the same thing. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want for any good thing. If the father gave us the best he had in the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, while we were his enemies, we were actually wolves at the time. And he gave us the Lord. The father gave us. See, now that we are his children, he will not deny us any good thing. And the sooner we grab onto that principle, the better. Because we will no longer define our lives the way the world wants to define it. We'll no longer define our lives the way our flesh, our selfish, weak flesh wants to define it. But to that, but instead live life boldly. That no matter what happens to me, the Lord is going to take care of me in the best possible way. I'll have everything I need. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. See, a shepherd wasn't going to give the sheep the choice. Once he brings them to their food supply, he's not going to let somebody wander off. He's going to say, get them back. No, you're here to eat. It's the same thing with the Lord. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. That's a great thing. We should always let him do that. Because our lives, most of the time, are anything but the quiet waters. But when we go to him, he'll lead us to a place in our hearts, maybe even in, in, our, in our life, he'll bring us aside and we'll have quiet waters where we can be refreshed. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. So many of us want to think that we have the ability to guide ourselves in the right paths. We don't. We need the Lord to guide us into the paths of righteousness. And we know that he's doing it for his own sake. We can have complete confidence that no matter how badly we behave as sheep, he is going to continue to guide us in the paths of righteousness for his own sake, for his name's sake. So how can you see already that this figure of the shepherd and the sheep, enormously important in the Bible. Again, in biblical times, sheep were a major source of food a major source of clothing for the people. So again, back then, in biblical times, it was very common for people to run across shepherds in their flocks to see them in the pastures of Palestine. Not only that, but if you think about prominent figures in the Old Testament, many of them at one time or another were shepherds. Abel, one of the first two children of Adam and the woman was a shepherd. Moses tended sheep for 40 years. We forget that. But he had that 40-year exile, if you want to call it that, after he had murdered a man and had a flea. He went for 40 years and he tended sheep. David, that's what he was doing when he was called by the Lord, right? Well, we... well. I've given, I've shown you all of my sons, he said, the father said to the prophet. And the prophet said, are you sure this is all of them? He says, well, there's one more, but he's the runt of the litter. You know, he's out there tending sheep. There's no way he could be the Lord's anointed one. And the prophet said, get him in here. And then, as we know, he was the one. But he was tending sheep. Moses, before he stepped into his calling, was tending sheep. David, before he stepped into his calling, was tending sheep. Sheep are tremendously important. The shepherd's a tremendously important figure, if you were, both both in terms of imagery 
and reality to the people in the biblical times. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, angels announced the birth of the Lord, the Savior, first to whom? The shepherds. They were staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock at night. But not only that, the prophets also used the image of shepherds and their flocks. But they not only used that image for the Lord and for the coming Messiah, they also used it for the wicked rulers who abused the flocks. The prophets had those both those two opposites uses for the image of the shepherd and the sheep. And we're going to take some time now to go to the prophets. Okay, We're going to see what they had to say about shepherds and sheep. And remember now that back in John 10, what, what the prophet said, none of that was lost on Jesus when he was speaking about the shepherds, the robbers, and the thieves. Let's go to Jeremiah 23, verses 1 to 6. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 to 6. The prophet Jeremiah had the unfortunate distinction of being the one that the Lord had called to to declare to this people that the, the time was very near when they would be sent into exile to Babylon. Remember Isaiah, when we're studying on Thursdays, he came about 150 years, 100 some years before they were put into exile. Not 150, that was at the end. So, but Jeremiah, so you have you have Isaiah, hundred years or more ahead of time. You have Jeremiah, who's right up to the point at which they're going to go into exile. And then you have two other major prophets. One Ezekiel, covering the period when they were actually in exile. And then you have who? Who's the fourth major prophet? Anybody? Daniel. He's at. He's right before they're going to get out of Babylon. Okay. So, so when you think about the progression of the, of the Old Testament major prophets, realize it's not haphazard. It is a certain order that lines up with basically centered around the, the Babylonian exile. In any event, we, here we have Jeremiah. The reason that the people are going to be sent in exile is primarily because of wicked rulers who then infected with their evil and, and idolatry all the people. It goes back to the leaders. So let's look at what Jeremiah has to say in chapter 23, verse 1. Is that actually, yeah. Jeremiah 23, 1. What's the first word? Woe to who? The shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture declares the Lord. In other words, they were what? They were robbers and thieves. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are presently tending my people. The present leadership of, at this point, it's the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, because the northern kingdom had already been taken out of existence. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. You have scattered my flock. 
you have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. The sheep of my pasture here are the people of the nation of Israel. So again, when Jesus then talks about the shepherd and the sheep, okay, there was an association with the Old Testament prophets where they came on the scene and said, you know what, it's the leaders of Israel who are the shepherds and it's the people who are the sheep. The sheep of my pasture, when the Lord says that, is his people of the nation of Israel. Not only that, but the shepherds clearly are the rulers of Israel. This is no different from what Jesus is going to talk about. You see, we come to chapter 10 and we have that question. Who are the thieves and robbers? We go back to Jeremiah and and Ezekiel, and it becomes perfectly clear who they are. And as a matter of fact, I want you to pay attention to the things that uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah say about these wicked rulers, these evil shepherds, because that will also will start to see some some resemblances to the people that Jesus has to deal with, that are his enemies and want him to be dead. So again, the shepherds are the rulers of Israel. What was the job of a shepherd? They were supposed to provide care and protection for their sheep. They were literally supposed to put the lives of the sheep and the well-being ahead of their own. If there was danger, if there was a a wolf or a lion that was threatening the sheep, the flock, it it was the shepherd's job to go there and take his rod and his staff and deal with that animal. But we just read that that's not at all what the shepherds at the time of Jeremiah were doing with the people of Israel. They destroyed the sheep. You see, that that was what shepherds were supposed to protect the sheep from. That's what the leaders are supposed to protect the people from. Care and protection for their sheep. If a sheep was lost It was the shepherd's job to seek him out and bring him back. If a sheep was injured, a good shepherd who was doing his job would nurse that sheep back to health. But these shepherds in the time of Jeremiah did the exact opposite. So when Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 8, talks about the thieves and the robbers, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, that expression becomes pregnant with meaning once you see what the prophets say. He is talking about the leaders at his day and age of the people of Israel, more specifically, again, the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, of whom Jerusalem was the capital, of whom were ruled by primarily religious leaders now. Okay, There was no king anymore. Okay, So it was religious leaders. What I mean by that is the chief priests and the Pharisees. And the other three gospel writers will talk about the scribes. And then and then John will talk about a subgroup called the Jews, which were the leaders that were most hostile to Jesus and wanted him dead. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And then we see in verse 1 of Jeremiah 23, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Let's continue, Jeremiah 23, 3. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock 
out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture. And they will be fruitful and they will multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The the shepherds that were supposed to keep watch over the flock failed miserably, purposefully, selfishly. And so what happens now? The the chief shepherd, the Lord, is going to say, you're done. I'm going to do it myself. And Isaiah, we'll see the same thing when we get to to the later chapters where the Lord is going to say, for my own sake, I am going to do it. I could find nobody. So I'm going to step in and do it myself. The Lord himself will intervene and he will become the shepherd of his people. He will gather them from the four corners of the earth in the end times, and he will bring them back permanently to the promised land. That'll be their pasture. And there they will enjoy on earth an abundant life, the remnant of the nation of Israel, along with the believing Gentiles whom the Lord will also let into the kingdom. You see, he will be a great door on the day of his second coming when he will then he will then be, be, be judging the sheep where he'll say, you know, there's some who can pass under the rod and go into the kingdom and some who can't. There are some Gentile ethnicities and nations who were who were loving to the people of Israel, the Jews during the tribulation. And those believers would then also go into the kingdom. You'll be the door when it's time for him to establish his kingdom in the future when he returns. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Again, behold, the days are coming. That's That's an expression for the end times now. The last days, the day of the Lord, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. We're going to see, hopefully, those of us who have been, were involved with the end times study that we did. And actually, the Isaiah series recognized exactly what he's talking about here. The righteous branch for David is the promised Messiah. The fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. The fulfillment of the promise that the Lord made to David while he was still alive and king of Israel. That there would be a descendant who would ascend to the throne of David and be there forever. And he would have the whole world as his kingdom. Again, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He will reign as king. And act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. He will be the good shepherd. In his days, Judah will be saved. Those who enter through the door will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely, protection for the sheep. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. The God man, Jesus Christ. The days are coming when the Lord will fulfill his promise to David that one of his descendants will sit on his throne. Now, who is this person? Clearly, 
Jeremiah is describing that future Messiah of the line of David. What are, what are the two things that the Gospel of John was written? Or the, or one, one purpose was to, so that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ, right? The Son of God, right? So, so that, as we follow his ministry in the Gospel of John, I hope we're seeing that it's full of references to him being the Messiah as well as divine. Okay, and, and, and just like the people in his time, they needed to be told these things many times. They needed to see that from different Old Testament references to the Messiah. And you know what? So do we. We, too, need to have that richer and richer understanding of, of, of who Jesus is, that he is everything that was promised in the Old Testament to Abraham, to David, to the, to the nation, all those promises. He is the fulfillment of the new covenant. So he's everything in terms of everything that the Old Testament anticipated. He's also God's son. Clearly talking about the Messiah in the line of David. I want to go to one passage this morning in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. If you could turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. Matthew 2, 4 to 6. Give you a moment to get there while I check on something here. Okay, good. All right, could you check to make sure that the slides are still projecting? Okay, good. Matthew chapter 2, verse 4. We already talked about the birth of Jesus. Now... In this, in this passage, Jesus has already been born. It's a while after he's been born. We know that because when, when Herod learned that, that, the, that the, the king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem, and he sent out his soldiers to kill everybody in that region who was under the age of two. And that's because he wasn't sure how long before this Jesus had been born. Gathering together all the chief priests, notice this, and scribes of the people. This is Herod, okay, the illegitimate king, okay. He's gathering together all the chief priests and scribes. Who are they? The religious leaders in Jerusalem. These are the most, turn out to be the most hostile people of all, the powerful people, what John calls the Jews. The chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. He asked them, why? Because he knew they were the experts on the Old Testament or their scriptures at the time. That meant that they knew it and they're about to see that they in fact did. But again, knowing it and understanding it are two different things. Coming at it from from a legalistic or selfish point of view or coming at it with a loving heart and an excitement about who Jesus is. Notice in verse 5, they said to him, chief priests and scribes, answered his question, where is the Messiah to be born? They knew. They knew exactly where, and they knew where in the scriptures. They quoted scripture here. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. They knew their Old Testament, but they didn't understand it. They didn't care. They were much more interested in their own traditions and their own power. But they knew it. 
verse 6. This is, this is Micah 5.2. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come forth who? A ruler who will what? Shepherd my people Israel. There's that sheep-shepherd relationship again. God will call the Messiah to be the good shepherd for his people, Israel. When Jesus identifies later on himself in chapter 10, in, in verse 11, that he's the good shepherd, it's more than a figure of speech. Okay? It's more than a, what we call a metaphor, right? Jesus isn't actually a shepherd in the sense of roaming the hills of Judea, but it's a metaphor for who he really is which is the great shepherd of the, of the sheep. But it's more than a figure of speech here. You know what else it is? It's a fulfillment of prophecy. Well, we're going to see Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 11, declare that he's the good shepherd, the good shepherd. Now that we've seen references in Jeremiah, and we've seen uh, the reference in the repetition of Micah 5, 2, we recognize that he is the promised one. He says he's the good shepherd, What he's really saying is, I am the promised Messiah who will come and shepherd my people, Israel. But, you know, we've seen Jeremiah this morning. We've seen a reference to Micah. But it's really in Ezekiel 34 that we find the most striking parallels to John chapter 10. Ezekiel chapter 34, which we're about to go to, of course, is the background for Jesus' words about sheep and shepherd in John 10. The necessary background for understanding what Jesus is saying about the sheep and the shepherd in John chapter 10. So I'd like you now to turn to Ezekiel chapter 34, and we'll begin verse 1 to 10. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read the first six verses and we'll stop and then we'll continue. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. Now, again, Jeremiah, right before the people go into exile in Babylon, Ezekiel, while they're in exile in Babylon. Okay. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against, here we are again, the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe! You shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool and you slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. They violated the most basic principles uh, and duties and responsibilities of a shepherd. Verse four, those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The disease you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity have dominated them. In other words, fierce, stern rulership, lording it over people, you know, treating people as your slave. But I want you to go back now, and, and in verse 4, I'm going to read it again. And this time, I want you to see who it is among all others, that fulfilled these things in the positive sense about a shepherd's care for the sheep. Those who were sickly, you, the false shepherds, have not strengthened. 
but who has? The diseased you have not healed. Who went throughout Judea and, 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 and Galilee and healed the sick over and over and over again? Yeah. The broken you have not bound up. Who healed the lame? Jesus Christ did. The scattered you have not brought back. You have not, nor have you sought for the lost. Who said that I've, I've come to seek and save the lost? Jesus did. And with, with force and severity, you have dominated them. Jesus wasn't that, right? He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. What a travesty. The job of a shepherd was to make sure that they were, the sheep were never harmed. By any beast of the field. And yet these, not only did they not feed them, they let them go wherever they wanted to. They didn't follow them. So what's going to happen? Well, you know, if you know anything about sheep, all right, they can't care for themselves. They're like this. They're kind of um, the seal of the, of the land animals. I uh, say, what are you talking about? Well, okay, so maybe you don't know about seals. But basically, seals are these blobs of blubber that, that, that swim slowly so that other beasts of the sea can eat them. They're like classic food, all right, for sharks and things like that. Sorry if I'm grossing you out, but that's a fact. Well, so are sheep. If they're not tended by a shepherd who protects them with his rod and his staff, they're sitting sheep for all these wild animals that are just going to devour them. And that's, that's what happened to the people of Israel because their shepherds back in the Old Testament didn't protect them. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill, my flock, Jesus, well, the Lord at this point, but calls them his flock. There's that personal, it's my flock. Just like when Saul of Tarsus went after and persecuted the church, he said, you, Saul, are persecuting me. They're my sheep. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over the, all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search and seek for them. Here in Ezekiel 34, 1-10, Ezekiel's dealing, of course, with the wicked shepherds of Israel. Who are they? Unrighteous rulers. Unrighteous rulers. In, in, in the day of Ezekiel, there were still kings had been kings. There were still leaders. There were still religious leaders back then. So the wicked shepherds are those unrighteous leaders. Let's continue in chapter 34, verse 7. Let's continue reading here. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food. For all the beasts of the field, for lack of a shepherd, my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore. But I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. You see, not only not only did the shepherds, of course, eat the sheep themselves, which were they to a certain extent, 
I mean, they were permitted to do, but on a very small extent, because mostly they were keeping the sheep for their true purpose. They also, of course, let the wild animals devour them. The Lord had had enough. I will deliver my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. Now, back in John, remember chapter 10, verses 1 to 10, we read this morning that it deals with who? Robbers and thieves who steal and kill the sheep. Robbers and thieves who break into the sheepfold to steal and kill the sheep. Who are those thieves and robbers? Well, the same people that Ezekiel talked about. The same people that Ezekiel that the Lord condemned and said, I'm against you. I will take the, my, my sheep away from you. You won't be able to eat up and mistreat. And, in, and remember in the times of the chief priests and Pharisees, they did plenty of that. They abused and they took advantage of the, of the people that were supposed to be under their care in many different ways. Remember how hostile they were to the man born blind. These are the people who would devour widows' houses. They were behaving the same way as the wicked shepherds that Ezekiel talks about, that the Lord finally says, I am coming after you. I'm against you. I'll take my sheep away from you. I'll make you make them cease from feeding sheep. Okay. That would happen, by the way. By the way, that once the, once the Jews were in exile in Babylon, never again would they have a king. From the moment that they stepped foot in Babylon to today, they have never had a king in the line of David. Ever, ever again. The Lord took the flock away. So who are the sheep? I mean, who are the thieves and robbers? The chief priests and Pharisees. They persecuted Jesus. Mistreated the man born blind. And you know, the Pharisees and scribes, they were definitely thieves and robbers. We're going to end today at a couple of passages in the New Testament. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 25 to 26. Let's see the behavior of the Pharisees and scribes in the time of Jesus. And just like what, what, what the Lord had to do in the time of Ezekiel, when he confronted them and said woe to them and declared that he was against them, Jesus will do the same thing to the scribes and Pharisees. Notice Matthew 23, verse 25. Same expression, right? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. What were the first words that the Lord spoke in Ezekiel 34-2? Woe, shepherds of Israel. You see it? Exactly the same thing. Okay. Only now, what had been the Lord in heaven is now Jesus Christ on earth, confronting them directly. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside, they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You are wolves in sheep's clothing. Outside, you look like a sheep. Inside, you're really a wolf. You're full of what? Robbery. What does Jesus say about about the enemies that are coming on the scene in, in his image in the beginning of John chapter 10? They are thieves and robbers, right? They, they destroy and they kill. Inside, they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. He's talking about Pharisees, scribes, and chief priests. You blind Pharisee. Isn't it interesting? The Pharisees mistreated the man formerly born blind, but the Lord calls them the blind ones. 
you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may be clean also. He wants one who is not circumcised outwardly, but circumcised inwardly. Okay, now, fine, let's go to Mark chapter 12, verse 38. Mark chapter 12, verse 38. All who came before me, Jesus said, were thieves and robbers. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 38. In his teaching, Jesus was saying, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. And I want you to bring this today. Say, who might these be today? Okay. Well, they might be walking around in long robes. You see, overtly religious people want everybody to know that they're overtly religious and holy, right? What are they? What's one of the favorite ways to do it? Put on a long robe. I'm not indicting any particular religion or congregation because they all do it almost, almost all of them. That's the first thing they do when they want to be seen in public. They, want to, they put on the long robes. And they like respectful greetings in the marketplace. Hmm. And the chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. You know, be careful of people who are always behaving like this, right? Beware of those who lord it over others, who always want to be seen and be first and recognized and always have to take places of honor. Verse 40, who devour widows' houses. You see it? Thieves and robbers, destroyers, murderers devour widows' houses, and for appearance sake, offer long prayers. Interesting. On the outside, what are they doing? They're wearing long robes. They're offering long prayers. On the inside, what happens? They're devouring when nobody's looking. They're devouring widows' houses. Widows. They're going after what? The weak sheep. The, the ones that don't have very much. And they're, and they're taking from them. And for appearance sake, offer long prayers and notice they're not going to get away with anything. Just like the Lord finally had enough and confronted and was the opponent of the of the of the sheep shepherds in time of Ezekiel. The same thing is going to happen. Right. They these will receive greater condemnation. You know, true shepherd what seeks the lost, finds the broken, strengthens the sick. Jesus was the one who sought out the man who was blind and now can see. Jesus was the one that helped him see that he, Jesus, is the son of man, the Messiah, who would shepherd his people, Israel. And the man born blind was the son of Israel. He was one of Jesus' sheep. Then Jesus, of course, at the end of chapter 9, also castigates the Pharisees and told them they were blind guides. All right, let's wrap it up today. Let's continue now. In Ezekiel 34, let's read verses 11 to 16. Because now the good shepherd is going to come on the scene. Ezekiel 34, go back to Ezekiel 34, verse 11. We're going to pick up where we had left off in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, 
See, in, in this second part of Ezekiel, we're gonna, he's going to talk about the good shepherd. Okay, and again, I just want you to observe what he has to say and, and realize that he's talking about Jesus when he comes back again. Notice Ezekiel 34, 11, thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. Today, the Jewish people are scattered around pretty much every nation of the world. But there will be a day when the good shepherd will come and he will gather them together from the countries and bring them to their own land, the kingdom. And I will feed them in the mountains of Israel by the streams, the waters, the quiet waters, and in all the inhabited places of the land. And I will feed them in a good pasture. I will lead them there. And their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. And there they will lie down on the good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the scattered. I will bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong, I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. Jesus wanted to be the Messiah the first time he came who would lead his people into the kingdom. So so what happened? Well, he gave all the indications of who he was again and again. He identified himself as the Messiah, the son of God. He actually did these things that the good shepherd was supposed to do, but not for sheep, for people, for the lost people of the nation of Israel. But they didn't recognize him. So it necessitates him coming back. And then he will do all of these things for the remnant of Israel. In verses 11 through 16 of Ezekiel 34, the Lord God declares that he will shepherd his own flock. And as we're going to see next week in John chapter 10, not next week, but soon. In John chapter 10, verses verses 11 to 18, which you can read if you want. There, Jesus will proclaim that he is the good shepherd and he will lay down his life for his sheep. So in a, in, a, in a pretty good sense now, what we can do is we can take John 10, 1 to 18, which we're about to go study in detail, and put it right on top of Ezekiel 34, 1 to 16, because it sets the stage. And just like we've seen in Ezekiel, there are two parts, one dealing with the evil shepherds, one the appearance of the good shepherd. We're going to see the same thing in John, in John 10, 1 to 9, dealing with the evil shepherds. From 10 to 18, the good shepherd comes on the scene. So we'll examine that in two weeks after we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you once again. Thank you for gathering us together this morning. And to look at more at the life of our shepherd, the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. To see how he was the fulfillment of all that the prophets taught. To see that when Ezekiel and Jeremiah talk about the evil shepherds. They're they're also talking about the leaders, the Jews, meaning the leaders that were hostile to Jesus in Jerusalem. And also when when he talks about himself as the good shepherd, he's also drawing on the imagery that the prophets used in the Old Testament. 
Father, when we return or when we read these this section in John chapter 10 in the next week or two, help us to make that connection. But more importantly, help us, despite all of the things going on in our lives, to just take that time, go to the quiet waters, and just marvel at the wonder of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Okay, so one thing this morning, we'll have Bible study, as we always do. It's Thursday, April 14th at 6.30. We're on Skype and in person. We're continuing in the prophet Isaiah. And with that, you guys are dismissed. I hope you have a great, beautiful day. It's nice out there today, real nice. Yeah.